Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 13 of Project MedTech. I am your host, Dwayne Mancini. As always, if you have any suggestions on topics or guests you'd like to see on the podcast, please email us at projectmedtechpodcast at gmail.com. Today, my guest is Dr. Brandy Baldwin. Dr. Brandy is the CEO at Millennial Ventures Holdings. Dr. Brandy has become a thought leader who is tapped by organizations like Discover, Comcast, and the federal government to share her insights on engaging the millennial workforce, leadership, and diversity. She has a number of accolades, but some of these include being appointed to Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney's Millennial Advisory Commission in 2017, named one of Philadelphia's most influential African Americans by the Philadelphia Tribune, her company, Millennial Ventures, received the Small Business of the Year Award, and the Philadelphia Business Journal awarded her as one of Philadelphia's 40 Under 40. She has a bachelor's degree in psychology and a PhD in educational leadership and policy studies. In this episode of the podcast, Dr. Brandy talks about what it takes to be a successful startup company, how to build your team, how to be an effective leader, how to raise money and what investors might look for, how to navigate this COVID-19 new world, and a whole host of other topics. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy my discussion with Dr. Brandy Baldwin. Medical innovation starts with medical discussion, talking about the future Dr. Brandy, thank you for uh, joining me on the podcast this morning. I know you've had quite the morning, uh, so yeah. I appreciate your time. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So maybe give the maybe uh, start uh, by giving the listeners just a little intro. I, I've kind of talked about, you know, what, what you what you do, but, uh, yeah. you know, maybe just fill in some of the gaps and, and talk a little bit about your, sure. your different companies you're in. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, a lot of people uh, may not know, and I know you probably mentioned it in your interview, but like I am a nerd, right? So I, I essentially was a college professor turned entrepreneur. I've always been entrepreneurial, um, but I've always loved learning. And so what I thought I could do was sort of disrupt some industries and sort of make my mark on the business end in those areas that I always have professionally loved, like education, you know, um, you know, like professional services and leadership development and all of those aspects. So um, I've had a, an amazing journey as an entrepreneur. And now I think people know me as a CEO of Millennial Ventures, which is just a parent company. We launch brands. All of them do not succeed. So sometimes we have to take them out back and shoot them quietly. And uh, we, we iterate and we try again. And so um, I'm not attached to any one thing. I'm really a serial entrepreneur at heart. And I love to be able to kind of hear what the market is saying that they need and see if I can get in where I fit in and grow from there. Yeah, wonderful. Great. So, you know, this is this is a big reason why I wanted to have you on. So as a lot of the, the listeners know, you know, the goal of this podcast is to help really to help small ideas become companies in the medical device industry. Right. And, um, you know, a lot of times it's, it's, it's a, a couple of doctors, a couple of scientists who, you know, have an idea. Um, and it's, it's like, well, where do you start? So I've, I've had a bunch of different people on the podcast talk about different things. And I think that, you know, talking about, 
good characteristics of a CEO uh, and a leader are, are something that, you know, maybe sometimes are overlooked because you're just thinking about the idea and the steps you need to take. So maybe talk a little bit about some key characteristics that you see as, as a good leader, CEO, you can maybe you can combine the two. Absolutely. So the first thing I would say, you know, is you have to differentiate early on between you and your brand and your company and how you're going to balance both and sort of how you want to position it for public consumption. And I think that, you know, in the med tech industry, the technology and the devices, you know, they reign supreme. But, but unfortunately, because it can be a little bit saturated and there's some high competition there, I think that you know, CEOs in that particular industry and founders need to consider their individual brand. How do they stand out? How are they a visionary? And maybe their first product um, that they're developing is, is gonna be the beginning of something major that people will be, you know, it's a bigger vision and people can get beside, behind that individual. You know, when you think about other founders that you know, we know and that you know, they have a brand themselves did they have it like that in the beginning? Maybe not, but there was a critical time where they sort of pivoted and now we know Jeff Bezos. Now we know the Bill Gates and, and others. And so I think that, you know, a lot of times when you're technically sound, you say, hey, I just want to be in the background. I want to just do the work. You know, I'm not about being a brand, but in this day and age, that could be a competitive advantage. And I think the sooner you're able to get out in front or at least have someone else that can do so on your team, it can be an important in terms of building your network Network, building your brand and having people who want to be around you, not for your personality. I'm not talking superficial, but because they understand the person, the human behind the invention. Um, and so yeah. that's probably the first step that I would, that I would say. So, so let me, let me pause you real quick there because that's a great one. And, and I heard this and I, this is kind of connecting some dots here, but I heard this from a uh, venture capital group in um, Boston who said, they like to invest in not the same um, uh, company, but the same serial entrepreneur because they, they were so effective the first time around that they said, well, if they're buying into this product, I know the product's good and, and I know the team is going to be good because um, he, or she, he or she is at the helm. You know, so I, 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 that's really, really good advice. Um, and you'll see that, you know, if you look at sort of the data, if we were to do a study, and there have been some that, that have been published out there, but there is sort of an avatar, right, for these types of entrepreneurs, and there's a spectrum, but these sort of mega entrepreneurs that have these characteristics um, of resilience, I mean, in entrepreneurship, we're taking risks. There's no guarantee of success. So investors are not necessarily looking for 100% guarantee. Investing is a risky business. But the idea is that if you have a founder or a founding team that has that right critical mass of these different you know, characteristics, that they should be able to be smart enough to kind of iterate and figure it out. Um, and even if they fail maybe on, on the first go round, that they'll come back even stronger and even better you know, after that. So for sure. All right. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Go ahead. Go to the, go to the next one. I just, okay. I had to comment on that. <laughs> yes. So, you know, besides sort of that, that idea of sort of what your role is and how much you want to be in front versus your product. The second thing that I would say is, you know, 
you have to be diligent and be discerning about building that team for the right reasons. Because quite frankly, you can only go as far as your team. I don't want this to sound cliche, but these are sort of three areas that um, I advise and coach founders on that sort of ask about this. As soon as possible, you have to identify these three folks and put them in the right places. So when you're first starting off, you're going to attract people that just love you. They're like, yo, Dwayne's doing amazing work. Whatever he does, I'm gonna follow him to the end of the earth, right? Those are amazing people. The challenge with those folks is as the organization begins to grow, as you have to pull away to handle other things and that contact with them and that engagement with them may go down, they may lose their, you know, zest because they really were there for you. So they, you know, they did whatever you wanted them to do off the strength of your relationship or because they're excited about your vision. So you have to be mindful there because what will happen is we'll say, man, this, this person was so on point and for some reason, you know, they're just not the same. Well, that's because they don't have as much access to you um, and it's becoming more structured. The next person is a person who is attracted to the mission. So it's not about you, but they're excited about what you're doing. They're like, oh my gosh, if I can just jump on this train, I love the, 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 the values behind what they're doing and how this could help in this industry. Now, these people are amazing because they're going to be super dedicated. But what we know about building businesses is that it's an iterative process. You may have started off at point A, and by the time you get to market, your whole spin of the company has changed. They're, they may lose some of their passion and zest along the way and be, and they kind of flake out, right? Because like, oh man, I thought we were going in one direction and it's kind of pivoted. Then you have the last group. This is an individual who is passionate about their skills. So they came on board because they're dope at data. They're amazing at some of the technical aspects of the company, or they wanted to come on to be your marketing person or whatever. Now, the challenge with this person is that when you're in a startup environment, it's all hands on deck. Sometimes mm -hmm. I may need you to be doing a little bit of everything. So I, we don't have the budget for you to have your whole division and department for marketing. Today, you're marketing, tomorrow, you're research, the next day, you're doing some data analysis. Like, you know, and for yeah. those folks, they're not able to execute at a high level of performance consistently because they're like, oh my God, I just want to do this one thing. And they don't like to be pulled in. And I think mm -hmm. that early on in my entrepreneurial career, I was like, man, I was getting personally frustrated because I'm like, people were so excited in the beginning. What am I doing? Why they're like not sticking around. Mm -hmm. And once I was able to reflect and sort of categorize them, I said, okay, got it. And I could correct for that to keep them on board a little longer. Yeah, that's so, so this is, this is key advice for med, you know, I probably in other startup companies as well. Um, but, but specific to med tech, um, a lot of times your, your full-time team, um, is, is probably two or three people, um, because of the Correct. nature of, you know, the business, right? It's not like these companies are going to an investor and saying, Hey, I generate this much revenue. They're saying, Hey, I need $5 million to get this to market. And then I may generate revenue. We don't know. Correct. <laughs> so, Possibly could be, yeah, right. could be right. So I think this might even extend a little bit through, um, how to pick, maybe the consultants or the other temporary team that you work with as well. Um, because you do want people who are going to be passionate about, uh, your product. Some way you're going to be successful. So, and you know what, to that point, you know, sometimes as a founder, it can be lonely, right? Mm -hmm. And so we want those people that are sort of in, you know, the sweat equity, they're willing to do it, but quite frankly, taking a consulting approach is, can be a very smart and safe way to stay outside of, 
the, the two people, everyone else is going to be sort of on a contract or they're consulting mm -hmm. where we, we know that there's going to be potentially a revolving door and we don't get attached in that way. And I think it, it may preserve some relationships so that those same consultants may be able to come back in a more engaged way once you get the capital, once you've moved on or whatever. But I think having those, a short-term team, here's the thing, when you were trying to launch or you're trying to just get to the point of a, a MVP, you know, the ideas move quickly. I just need people who can move quickly right now, you know, mm -hmm. six month increments. And so that long-term commitment and investment is not necessary. And if you start with that in mind, you your feelings won't be hurt and you can set expectations and boundaries with everyone who's involved and say, hey, thank you guys. If you guys can help me for three to six months, you know, I appreciate it. And I will mm -hmm. not be mad if you have to move on after that, you know? Right. Um, yeah. yeah, but setting expectations is gonna be important. Yeah, yeah. Do you have others on the list too? Yes. Okay. Right. So now we got, we got the, the brand together. We got yep. the team together. And then the next thing I'll sort of say is, you know, managing, you know, yourself as a founder, uh, in terms of your short and your long-term goals. I know okay. this sounds like so basic and probably elementary, like, duh, we have short and long-term goals, but like, you need to start with the end in mind. I know that a lot of people say, Hey, I know that I want to exit, you know, that's the goal, duh, that's what we do. But I think there's a little bit of a shift right now happening. I think what has happened, you know, in the, the startup space, as I have analyzed it is, you know, this millennials that have been working their butts off. They're one of the smartest generations out there, highly educated. They're creating these businesses and these companies and they're selling it to the big guys who've been around forever. They're gobbling up all these little, little companies. And then what do we have 10, 15, 20 years later are the, the, the big guys that are getting bigger and bigger and bigger off the backs of very smart millennial founders. And so what I would sort of caution everyone now in terms of how you may want to be um, rethinking your long-term and short-term goals in terms of your businesses, how dope would it be if we could really have a generation of millennial founders who can be creative? If you have a product that is that amazing that someone wants to buy it, how can you leverage that and keep some of that ownership for the next generation? We have to be able to pass this down. And unfortunately, what I'm seeing is an entire generation of people who have put up some of the best ideas and when you think about it we don't have any ownership you know billionaires are owning all of these ideas they're not smart enough to do it themselves and so i'm using this sort of short and long-term goal um you know analogy or kind of framework to say really think about why you want to do this and be in this industry do not just follow the trends because from 2020 to 2030 because of technology we are going to be making advances as if it was three, 30 years rather than 10. It's going to be a big jump. And I think that we as founders have a lot of leverage right now to reconstruct deals. Um, and, and we can push the envelope there. And I would love to have, you know, us be the billionaires of the future, but we'll never do that if we're building companies just to get a short-term paycheck. If they're willing to pay you 100 mil, $50 million, $10 million or whatever to just buy your concept, imagine how much they think they can make long-term. Right. So really get clear on that early on in the game. Yeah, and I, so, so, so that's, a, that's a great point because um, I see this happen. Um, you know, we'll, I'll talk to basically where I'm, where I'm, what I'm seeing happen to the industry and what a lot of people are is that, um, strategics. So, so in the med device, we'll call them Boston scientific, Johnson and Johnson, Medtronic, whoever it is, those large yes. ones, they want more and more and more to acquire you. So a while, you know, 
30 years ago, it was great. You got 510k approval. We'll, we'll, we'll buy your company. Um, now it's, and, and it's different for different classes of devices. PMAs, the acquisition is, is a little bit earlier. It could be for before approval, but with 510Ks, it's great. You got 510K approval, um, sell in a regional market. So, you know, at that point, and, and I think that sometimes people who want to be acquired or companies who want to be acquired will say, okay, I got to sell in a regional market and then I'm going to get acquired. When maybe the mindset should switch, like you just kind of said, is, okay, if I'm going to go sell in a regional market, if I have success, maybe the deal's off the table, you know? Uh, yeah. And, and absolutely. And that, and yeah. that's why I think it's important that you're having this discussion, which is characteristics of a CEO. Quite mm -hmm. frankly, if you're just a smart person who, and you're an, an inventor and you build companies or, you, you know, um, and you have business ideas and you sell them, you know, I see that as almost another tier of employee of worker, no shade to that. But yeah. when you go in as a CEO mind, and that's a strategy, I will say that that's a legitimate strategy, right? Where people are like, hey, I have this skill. Uh, rather than me working internal, I'm going to work independently and sell. And so their income is not going to be maybe consistent, but they're going to get some big, fall, um, you know, landfall of money. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you think about that CEO mindset, once you make that shift from sort of inventor to CEO, then I think that you can expand the possibilities of where you really want to take your company. And sometimes that limited view can make you feel like you have limited opportunities when you really have a lot more leverage. You know, I love the idea of sort of an accumulation, you know, the, the, you know, and why do, why do people sell, right? Why do people want to exit besides the fact that it's like the normal thing and it's become sort of the standard, but, but it's it's a you know less of a long-term commitment you know mm -hmm. you don't have to grow it you just have to build it and so as a ceo now the founder how can you you know leave that legacy onto your children and your children's children's children and uh, you know contain that ownership um within your sphere of influence by just solving for the problem of who do i need to grow this uh, you know understand that you're not going to be as valuable if that's not in your you know your strong suit and who can really replace you to keep that rather than sort of like i don't know we've made it to this they'll take me you know johnson and johnson said yeah so why not mm -hmm. you know um and so again I, I think that we have to think of it in terms of strategy you know no value judgment on each but i think that there's more of a strategy that, than people think um and yeah, yeah yep now the next yeah. thing i'll add to sort of that is this idea of your network I know we've heard it a lot, you know, but what I've realized is that founders oftentimes spend too much time networking with people that are, you know, I'll call them on their own level. They're on their level because they feel like they haven't maybe made it to that next level. But I would recommend like right now I'm a part of a um, CEO group and in this group, I'm essentially networking with CEOs whose companies are $400 million. Technically, I don't even qualify to be in the group, but but I got an invitation, an exclusive invitation to join these men, baby boomers for the most part. Um, and I got an, an invitation because of how I show up as a leader and as a CEO. They're like, oh my, you know, so I'm not there as sort of the, the mentee, you know, of the group. Oh no, we, we are equals once we're in this space. And so right. for anyone who's listening, you know, who else, what's the next level of people that you need to be rubbing shoulders with? What areas, you know, because it's access to information, right? I'll give a quick example. Last week, I was on a call with one group 
of uh, my colleagues, and we were kind of talking about how you know we want to make sure in terms of you know you know the fiscal health of our companies that we're we're being um, as diligent as possible with our earnings. What can we do this year? We know COVID nineteen kind of through a monkey wrench, depending on what your industry is, and that's what the basis of our conversation was. I jumped over a couple days later to this other group, and what were these gentlemen talking about? One of the gentlemen said, money's not the issue. Oh, the money's out there right now. Oh my gosh, you guys, do you believe? And what we were talking about was totally different. To them, there's money out there. Money's not the issue. It's about connecting the right money with the right opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, uh, especially in this med tech industry, you know, that can seem very saturated, um, you know, a lot of competition, make sure that you're in the right circles and you're not having a false sense of what the market may be. Maybe you won't have as much access to capital because of your network, but there are other people that could be tapped into other um, networks and they won't have a problem at all. And so be mindful of that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, well, that's really good advice because, um, you could, you could talk to, like I I mean, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier. You could talk to a VC um, in, I don't know, uh, Boston, talk to another one in California, and they have two different views on what they're yes. doing right now. And, yes. and um, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think the other thing too, and, and I don't know if that's where you were going with it or not, but, but it's how I interpreted a little bit of it. At least, you know, when, when you're a, if, assuming, you know, this is your first startup company, a first time entrepreneur, I think sometimes it could be a little intimidating to um, just go up and introduce yourself to other people. I mean, it, it really is, especially, you know, back before COVID-19, it was, um, it, was an, it was at a conference and that might've been a little easier, right? You're at a cocktail hour, you have a person you want to talk to, maybe you get yes. a drink and you go do it. But now it's even different. It, it's, it's really weird, right? I mean, it's, it's reaching out via LinkedIn. It's reaching out via email. Um, and, and while it can seem um, maybe less because it's, it's digitally, it, maybe it's, it's, it's less nerve wracking, um, still it's difficult. You got to set yourself apart. You got to take the chance. You got to reach out. So, right. you know, You're maybe talk right. a little bit about... Um, how to go about doing that? Because I, I, I yeah. think sometimes people could use that advice. Yeah. Um, awesome. So you're absolutely right. So let's talk to Dave. So here's the thing. I'm not sure if your listeners know, I actually have a degree in psychology. So I'm going to kind of take it back a step. You know, from a psychological perspective, I think that your perception about yourself is very important. You know, I was someone who sort of moved up the ranks in academia, having a doctorate and doing that whole thing. And so I felt very comfortable and confident in those spaces. You know, I could do the PhD lingo, I can use $50 words, you know, I can talk about theoretical underpinnings and all of this stuff, but I did not see myself as a CEO. There was a disconnect. And so on paper, technically to register the company, I'm the CEO, but I didn't really internalize that and that stopped me from a lot of progress um, early on. It slowed me down. And so for anyone who's listening, like you literally have to make that shift as a CEO. And when I was able to do that, I was able to also hold myself accountable for moving in a way that CEOs should move. So when I wake up every day, I need my schedule to reflect that of a CEO, not that of a student. And I think that because, especially in the med tech industry, you all are so formerly trained, you know, you, you had the education, you probably were not tinkering around with this stuff in your garage and like stumbled upon these skill sets. You're trained. And I think that as students, some of the things that make us successful, like 
turning in the paper when it's perfect, you know, doing so much research, 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 you know, before you make any moves, you know, there's so many things that make you successful as a student that just don't apply in the same way as an entrepreneur. And so I was using my student skills, you know, in my business and wondering why I was not making money. I realized that it doesn't have to be perfect. I need to go ahead and put it out there. I realized that it's not about how effective my product or service is if I can't brand it and it's not attractive. And so I was had a little chip on my shoulder, you know, gosh, it's so superficial branding. I mean, my gosh, I had right here the value proposition laid out and the, you know, and I just was so kind of like, it's all spelled out. They would just read it. It's like, sweetie, your brand sucks. The website's a mess. No one, you know, and so I had to realize when I'm talking about this product as well or service, I'm probably speaking to people who do not have the same intellectual background or niche niche expertise that I do. So I've learned how to, you know, speak other people's language, how to translate so that, uh, you know, I can give people what they want, you know, what's in it for me. That's the question we have to ask. And so I think that some of the misalignment that stops people from being confident in reaching out is number one, how they perceive themselves, maybe not really as a CEO or as an inventor or whatever you may call mm -hmm. it. And then also, you know, not having enough practice because it is a skill that, that you can develop in terms of like, okay, if I'm in front of this group, I need to spin it this way. If I'm in front of this group, spin it that way and being nimble and being adaptive and also being willing to, you know, be uncomfortable yourself to make others comfortable with engaging with your product or service or whatever it is that you're pitching. And so I'm not saying that you have to sort of show up as this outgoing, you know, there's a certain, you know, norm of like the ideal person can pitch and sell in this way. No, if you're a nerd and you're laid back and you're low key, just be that. Be yeah. authentic. And I think that at the end of the day, authenticity is a brand in and of itself that we don't see, you know, a lot of. So you're absolutely right in terms of the confidence piece um, and the network. And once you can lock in there, then you will have the confidence to reach out. You will have the confidence. And let me just add this to Dwayne is like rejection. Rejection is a part of the game. I know it's easier said than done. But at the end of the day, you sort of have to resolve, <laughs> do you want it or do you not want it? Because if you want it, it's a part of the process and you have to be all in. And, you know, from an just analytical perspective, when you reach some stumbling blocks or when you may be rejected, it's not just because like, oh man, I didn't do a good job. You want to be able to analyze, was that the right audience? Was was that the right pitch? You know, I'm always collecting data. Anytime someone's like, hmm, interesting, awesome, and they never follow back up with me, I'm like, hold on, what happened there? Because they didn't have the guts to tell me to my face that they weren't liking what I was saying. Yeah. Let me go back to the drawing board. And so we always want to be collecting this sort of um, organizational intelligence, I call it, as we move through this process. And then we won't have that lack of confidence, you know, because of, you know, wrong assumptions, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I th so um, your breakdown is, is, is pretty much spot on for me, right? So um, coming out of a very, very technical role in the medical device industry, uh, and even before that as a chemist, um, you know, it's from a perception standpoint. Yeah, it's, 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 I'm definitely nerdy. Um, but when I moved into business development, um, and, and doing some, some sales, uh, it was, I just need to be, you can, you can see if you just observe a bunch of salespeople, everyone has different techniques and I just needed to be comfortable with who I was. And once I did that, 
it was very easy for me to go talk to people, for me to reach out to people. Um, and, and, you know, that's separate in my, in my Covance life. You know, that is, that is something that being comfortable is, is huge for me to reach out to people that I don't know um, and say, hey, this is what we do. If you need our help, reach out to me. But in, in the podcast world, it was, that was like a new stepping stone because all of a sudden it was, I was reaching out to interview people and people who had really no business, uh, they, they didn't have to respond to me, were responding to me and saying, yeah, do I not do the podcast? And, uh, you know, there, there were times though where, where people said, hey, I can't do it um, or, or, yes. or no, they wouldn't respond and, and that's fine. And, but I went back and looked and said, okay, did I portray what my goal was to them in a, in a proper way, or did, did I get lazy with how I explained it? Because you get one shot to explain it. So if I don't explain it correctly the first time, I probably lose interest. Yep, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And actually that dovetails into my last sort of characteristic of a CEO. I mean, I can give you 20, but you know, the yeah. prioritizer <laughs> for everyone is just to your point of about selling. I mm -hmm. think that, you know, Founders that are successful, CEOs that are successful, they understand the difference between educating and selling. And I think that a lot of what we, we're doing when we're pitching and when we're talking about our products and our services is, is we're educating. And people, you know, educa education is a part of the sales process, but selling is hard to fit in the educational process. And so what I would recommend is Think of your, you're always selling. That's why you're here, right? You're either selling a vision to your team, potential consultants, potential investors, and of course, to those who may use, your, you know, you may have an opportunity to be in front of that audience. But, you know, think about a forums that are ideal for you based on who you are as a founder and CEO to sell. So if you're in, one of the things that I did early on was I said, you know what? Okay, I'm, I'm creating services. I have a consultancy. I have a firm. Um, and this is like 10 years ago, but I started off doing like professional development and that sort of thing. And I said, you know what, I'm going to speak at human resource events. And so I was able to use one of my skills, which was I'm a professor anyway, you know, and so that was comfortable for me. Um, and then in those forums, I was able to sell without them really knowing they were being sold, but I had access to a large audience. So for those of you here, think about how you can sort of turn your role as a CEO into a thought leader. You know, it's not just about your product. It's about your product in the context of everything else that's out there that's not as good as your product. How can you create a signature talk around that maybe? And then instead of reaching out maybe randomly on LinkedIn, you're going to look for tech event, med tech events. And you're going to say, hey, um, you know, event organizers, I would love to talk to you about this great innovation that's happening in the med tech industry. And I happen to actually be a founder that's helping this, you know, mission. And, and then they're like, oh, my gosh, now you have speaking engagements and opportunities to get in front of a lot of people in a little bit of time. And, you know, again, you can still be you. You can still educate, um, but you're essentially selling them in that way. So I think that, you know, once I put the switch and said, I kind of thought, doesn't it sell itself? Didn't you wear the website? Didn't you yeah. see my deck? Like, this is the most, you know, this is the amazing idea ever. And um, I realized that like, nope, I'm selling first and educating as a part of that. And once your presentation gets too educational, um, people kind of glazed over. You don't have to make them experts in your product. Mm -hmm. You need to just tell them just enough for them to make a decision if they would like to engage with you further. But mm -hmm. you, definitely selling is essential. It's up to you to figure out what medium and what channel will work best for sort of who you are.
Okay. And, and that piece of advice seems like it would dovetail into um, almost advice for a pitch session, right? With, with investors. Um, you want to get them just interested enough um, to engage further, right? And put, put you at the top of the list. Absolutely. And here's the thing. I'm recommending, especially, you know, with this quote unquote new normal that we're in, throw the rule book out of the window. It only can be 10 slides. It only can be this. It only can be that. No, 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 no. Now is the time to capitalize, you know, on within reason being creative. So you may have a medical device that um, I was recently at a, a pitch session with founders and someone had an amazing medical device, which reminded me sort of of the EpiPen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, of course, me speaking on something that's not in my uh, realm of expertise. But instead of sort of doing, you know, talking about, the, the, the device as you would traditionally. How about create a story? Meet Hannah. Hannah is allergic to blah, 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 blah. And thanks to the, you know, create a story, walk them through that. You know, I think it's okay to stand out in a good way. And I always err on the side of being creative and being sort of um, off center purposefully and strategically, number one, as a mechanism to stand out and be memorable. And number two, as a way to kind of demonstrate your brand. So, you know, your your brand and your device is two different things, you know? Um, and so how can you give people an inside look into just the how? You know, it's not about what you do, it's about how you help. And I think that a lot of times investors, they want to, I want them to see the commercial on television for the device in the future. I want them to get a glimpse of like, oh, the cohesiveness of a brand. So, you know, because unfortunately when you're competing on the technical side, we can get, you know, a couple thousand other people to that have the technical skill to make that device. That's why it's sort of who can get to the market the fastest. Um, And so, yeah, so I think it's very important to that end to be creative right now you have to stand out because investors are being more discerning and you don't want to sort of blend in with everyone else and your excuse being sort of like this is protocol um and it may not vibe with everyone um and the idea is not to um make all investors feel comfortable or not play them the, the idea is be authentic and set yourself apart so that you can connect with the right type of investors and so um every just because they have money all money is green doesn't mean that the partnership is going to make sense yes. and so i think push the envelope a little bit on that yep that's so a couple things you touched on uh the last one i'll go there first uh with the money being smart about who you choose as your investors is so key. And, and I think that sometimes startup companies think, oh, I just need to get, I just need to close out this seed round. I just need to close out this series A round. I, I understand that. But if, if, your, if your investors don't have similar goals, or at least if you need to know what their goals are, but, but get smart money. Bring in money to fill out your team. And there, there, I did a, a, uh, I interviewed a guy named Anthony Caparso. I think he was like episode five or something like this. And he's a SEER entrepreneur and he talks about filling out your board and, and doing it in an intelligent way. Um, and I think that's so important. And the other point you touched on was something that I already forget. So we'll just. Was it about the creative presentation? Oh, that's it. it. Okay. Yes, that's it. So it's, it's, I think sometimes when, especially in med tech, it's unique. Um, You know, it's, it's when you first start your company, you think, okay, I need to get my prototype. 
I need to think about my regulatory plan. I need to think about my reimbursement plan. I need to think about my clinical plan. And that's great. I get that. But in the grand scheme of things, that's actually short term, right? You need to be able to sell this. So I think my, my, my usual pitch to a startup company is let someone else think about your regulatory or support you in that. Let someone else temporary think about your reimbursement and let someone temporary think about your clinical. And when you build your full-time team, you need to think about, okay, when this gets approved, how am I going to get into the market? And building your brand early, like you said, is so important. Um, because like I said, you know, a, a, most devices are going to be 510Ks, which in a regulatory, like in my eyes, that's just a me too device. So you have a right. tough sell. You know, you're saying I'm substantially equivalent to this product on the market, but in 10 minutes, I'm going to tell you why I'm that much better. Okay. Right. That's a tough yeah. sell. So start thinking about that early. And I think that's, that's, that's great advice that I see a lot of companies not think about. They go into stepwise mode rather than parallel path mode. Correct. Um, yeah. Yeah. That parallel path is important. And mm -hmm. you know, the idea is that if you do, if you do have a vision and sometimes that you have to take the time, make the time to do some creative, like brainstorming and thinking around it, you know, the idea of sort of, we have to also redefine what it means to be a founder and to be a startup. You know, I think that some people don't give themselves enough credit. They think that they should only come in with that bare minimum basic understanding and we're not there yet. You know, of course you'll make a logo to put on the front of the deck or whatever the case may be, but let's really think about the brand. What's your messaging? What's your hashtag? What do you, you know, what do you mean to the people, to the patients, to the, you know, individuals that eventually will, um, you know, hopefully, get access to your device or your product or the, or the um, physicians or medical teams, whatever it may be, right? And so I think that it's important for, for people to say, hey, I'm creating a brand here. And this is how you can also command even more capital. That's how you can have an even more leverage. You know, I think that some of these larger companies, they're looking for you to come bare bones because they're going to stamp their name on it. They're going to stamp their brand on it. And, and, and then you can have a little bit more leverage if you, we already have a brand, we already have a voice, we already have something that we know will work. And so I think that that could help as well, but do, do it early and, and reconceptualize sort of everything that we've known. If you're going to pivot it at any point, if you're going to break any rules at any point, this is the year to start doing it. We have a huge excuse, you know, with the fact that the whole world is shifting right now. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's good advice. Um, so I know we're, we're coming up here on uh, the top of the hour. So, so I want to cover two other things. Um, let's start with... Let's start with uh, uh, mandatory millionaires. That program that 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 you that you run. Let's maybe talk a little bit about that, and then I'll save one question for the end. Okay, absolutely. So you know, the mandatory millionaires program is something that we've been thinking about at Millennial Ventures for quite some time. In terms of how do we purposefully create a pipeline to entrepreneurship? It's all about access, and so we want to identify. You know, of course, I'm a, I'm a, a former college professor, and so I've been at Wharton. You know, teaching at Wharton. I've been at Temple University and other institutions, Johns Hopkins, and so forth. And what I realize is these young, bright minds are very entrepreneurial entrepreneurial, but because, you know, the golden standard is sort of four years of college, they sit in a classroom for four years learning about quote-unquote business or entrepreneurship by the, everything that they've learned by the time that they graduated, or a lot of it is old, right, because the business world is changing, it's innovating very quickly, and so we want to capture, you know, these young 
future unicorns possibly, you know, and say, hey, how can we give you access? So a critical component of this program, first of all, it's international. We had our first cohort start this summer and we had literally applications from Nairobi. Like literally, I'm like, how did they learn about us? I don't know. Yeah. So we switched to an online um, hybrid kind of format and they actually get access to millionaires. I've tapped my network. We, we've tapped, you know, people who we know so that they can get access to um, millionaires who've been there, done it multiple times over and can give you coaching. So how many times I would have loved to have access to millionaires when I just started off. Okay. Right. I tell people, you know, when I launched my first company, you know, I did not bootstrap. Like I was so broke. I flip-flop strapped it. Like whatever the, <laughs> you know, like literally that's all I had was like, I, I'm right. trying to duct tape this thing together to get any type of traction. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, that's what we, what we want to do. The other thing is, and I, I alluded to it earlier, but we really want to disrupt the startup space right now. And what, what we believe a way to do that is getting sort of these up and coming entrepreneurs and startup founders to understand the value of ownership. We want to create a new ecosystem where, hey, in some case, and I do honestly believe that in some cases, it's like, please sell this, like, please exit and just because the check is enough to parlay that into other opportunities and to help. Right. But I think that, you know, there's a critical mass of industries where we want to teach them um, about that, that ongoing ownership and, and, and how that could, you know, impact them. The other thing is, you know, I think it's worth me saying that we still have some work to do within the sort of VC space in terms of access to capital, of course, for women and people of color. And so yes. we want to shift a little bit and say, instead of sort of, you know, begging for more than the two or 3% that we're getting all in all, how can we actually shift gears and say, you know, it's not that we're being excluded necessarily in any way, right? But let's switch our strategy. You know, what are some other ecosystems that we can develop and create? And of course, uh, Mandatory Millionaires is fully inclusive of all types of the founders. But what is the ecosystem that we can create where we are leveraging our brands, where we are leveraging crowdfunding, where we are leveraging other means of capital um, in order to get the job done? And, and so, yeah, so that's our sort of vision and our goal for we're going to be running cohorts about three times a year right now. And uh, we are, you know, if anyone who's listening who has access to um, a millionaire that would love to participate or if you are a founder in your own right and you'd love to sort of donate your time to pre-record or do a, even live business coaching for maybe 20 or 30 minutes with our founders, um, you can definitely go to camp at millennialventures.co and get some additional information. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we'll put that in the show notes. Um, so if, if you're listening to the podcast, you could just, you know, look up or down an inch depending on the app you're on and, and click on it. So that's great. That's a really, really cool um, uh, program you have going on. And um, it's, it's always, it's always fun to see disruptive um, programs like that, you know, especially in this space and in any space um, that's going to help do that because, you know, I think that uh, that's another thing we've done on the, or at least I've done on the, po I say we like there's a team, it's just me. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, that we've done on the podcast is interview other places like this that are uh, maybe not the typical cookie cutter um, incubator or accelerator. Maybe they're doing something yeah. different, bring different things into the mix. So that's, that's cool to see. Absolutely. Um, you know, 
without, like I know this is a whole nother topic we could probably talk an hour about, but mm-hmm. when you mentioned it about um, women and, and, and people of color having a fair access to uh, VC money. I, I don't, I don't remember the stat, but I know I came across it on LinkedIn and um, for anyone who thinks that, that, that it's, that it's, that it's even, uh, it, it's not even close. And I forget that. I, I don't remember the statistic. I don't remember the number, but I remember reading the article yeah. and being, being astonished that that was the actual stat. I mean, it's, it's, and it's less than 5% of all venture capital. Yeah. And you were talking billions of dollars. We're talking billions now and we're talking about less than 3% going to um, women. And, and it's about, you know, one and a half to 2% within that, that it, that um, is going to actually founders of color. It's, yep. it's, it's crazy. So I, I appreciate adding some, some numbers to that because I, I couldn't remember it. I didn't want to misspeak, but I knew it was astonishingly, astonishingly low. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, and I think that the idea here is, you know, I'm so solution oriented, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, people can get caught up on the labeling and the assumption of why this is happening and, oh my gosh, you know, or we can do what we do best, which is innovate around mm-hmm. that. You know, I think, you know, if a space, is is not ready to i mean i don't make this something that they're not ready but if for whatever reason you're not being successful in one area just from a business perspective you need to be able to creatively um you know find solutions to be successful and there there are more than you know several ways to skin a cat and in this sense i think that we need to sort of expand you know take responsibility for are you still going to beat your head against the wall in an area that may not be as fruitful for you or can you pivot on your own and i think we can do pivot on our own and get uh, open up some more access to some of that capital yeah great um okay so last 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 question um starting a company is hard uh, doesn't matter what industry you're in, but especially, especially med tech. So you had to narrow it down. You've given a lot of great advice. What is the single best piece of advice you can give, you know, a young entrepreneur ready to start their first medical device company? Wow. Okay. That's a big <laughs> one. Okay. A single bit of advice. Yep. Um, I honestly would say, you know, it's going to be again on the sort of personal and psychological level. Okay. Are, are you all in or are you not all in? Mm-hmm. If you're all in, you will figure it out. You will find the network, find the money, find the capital, fix the issues, iterate, solve the problems if you're all in. And I think that a lot of founders right now, they're all in, but all in until all in, you know, you know, you know, unless this happens. And it's like, I have literally launched my first company. I gave birth to my oldest who is now a preteen and um, she was born with special needs, needed multiple surgeries. I was back and forth traveling to specialists and doctors. You know, mm-hmm. I was literally in a PhD program as an entrepreneur, which I don't recommend anyone to do, but like I started my company before I finished a doctorate and had to, you know, complete that huge feat. Um, I have gone, I launched my first company in the middle of the recession in 2008. Who does that? Um, right. But actually, because of the space I was in, we actually had a, a great start. So I think at the end of the day, it's sort of the commitment factor there and, and being very clear from jump. Please stop jumping on bandwagons. I see young founders all the time. They're like, oh my God, like, it's like the cool thing to do now. Like, okay, yeah. you're not a founder. And you know, we don't, you know, we love you, but we really don't need you in this space. Yeah. You know, it's a waste of time. I want people that 
you may fail and you know it may not go well but i'll at least know Dwayne is still out here working on the next thing mm-hmm. um reinventing himself reinventing the company being willing to pivot and i think that um committed entrepreneurs and not people that are sort of doing a money grab or trying to sort of maybe you know even a lot of ego is involved sometimes you know i just want to show that i can put a deck together and i can do this and i can raise funds and when the rubber meets the road they're quick to try to hand their company over because they didn't have the commitment to begin with and so that's what i would sort of say before you you know or as soon as you start or as soon as you start to you know apply to these pitch competitions and other opportunities are you are you all in? Ask that your question. Ask that question to yourself, and I think that if you're all in, then you you will not ever you know find a a, a barrier or something that you can't overcome. Okay. You will yeah you will learn how to be smart. You'll learn how to pivot, and you'll know you know when to hold them, know when to fold them. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's a part of being all in. Yeah. Um, but but I hate to see entrepreneurs sort of you know they're so excited in the beginning, and then it kind of like trickles off. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you need the supports there and people to hold you accountable. I have people that when I'm crying and I'm just going to give a truth moment, I know we're wrapping up, <laughs> but some months I'm crying in the corner of my closet, uh-huh. like, <laughs> you know, because like it got too real. It got yeah. too real. It's right. savage out here. This is not for anybody. It's not school. Forget your deck. Yeah. Like when, when you get money and you have mm-hmm. to sustain and you have employees, that's when right. you know ish gets real so to speak and so yep. you know make sure you're all in and have that accountability that, that can help you dust yourself off and, and try again because you'll need it yeah no I, I i appreciate that that's that's great advice and you know so um you know the, the podcast is a is a is a separate llc and um for me and it was my first one now it's it's way different though because i have a full-time job right so i have security right. in other places um but but something I did to almost um, use it as a check system to make sure I held myself accountable because I don't have anyone to hold myself accountable. And it'd be very easy for me to stop doing these because I have a full-time job. So, um, and, and, and I don't make any money off this um, or at least not right now, you know, you know, thinking of ways to monetize it, but there's no, right. nothing right now. So um, what I did was I would tell my wife things and it was almost like I used that as my, um, check system because once I told someone my personality is I'm not going to not do that now. <laughs> I do that to hold myself accountable. That's me. Right. I put it out there. I'm like, oh my gosh, now I have to actually do it because I told some people. Yeah. Yes. Yep. But you know, I think the um the, the one thing too is is yeah, you gotta take leaps. Um so so just to add a little color to that is I switched jobs in the middle of COVID. Um, so I went from one company to another. And within that same week, um, I opened my LLC uh, for this and found out my wife was pregnant with our first child. So, yeah, <laughs> you talk about a crazy week, right? Yeah, it was, it was a wild, wild week. And, uh, um, but it is what it is, right? You just kind of plug right through. <laughs> yes, I'm telling yeah. you. And the thing, the idea of all in is also not uh, committed to one thing. 
right? right? The idea is all in, in whatever you're doing. I'm doing a variety of different things right yes. now and I'm going to see it through. And so I love the fact that, you know, you sort of reminded the listeners, Hey, I have a day job, but you're all in there. Yes. I have a podcast, but I'm all in. I have a wife and a baby on the way and I'm all in there. You know, yep. it's about just living that all in life style to say, whatever I start, I'm going to finish. I'm going to be responsible and respectful. And it doesn't mean that, that, you know, there are different things for different seasons, right? And so the podcast mm -hmm. at some point may come to an end, but while it's here, be all in it, be diligent. And so salute to you for that. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. So hold on for one minute. I'm going to stop the recording here in a second and I'll just, we'll just kind of do a quick download before, before we run out of time. But, but Dr. Brandy, I, I appreciate your time. Um, you, it, it was, it was only an hour, but the advice you gave is, uh, I think just absolutely crucial. And, and I'm, I'm really excited for the, the, the final, uh, product of this episode, but, um, I'm excited for our listeners to, I think you gave a lot, a lot, a lot of valuable advice. So I appreciate Thank your time. You. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you have any questions or comments for Dr. Brandy or myself, there's a link to our LinkedIn pages in the show notes, along with a link to Dr. Brandy's webpage that you can get in touch with her. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review and feel free to visit the webpage www.projectmedtech.com or send us an email at projectmedtechpodcast at gmail.com. Have a great day.